Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Thanks so much for joining us for church, whether you are participating online or joining us in Waukesha or Pewaukee. Great to have you uh, with us uh, today. Well, back in 2014, a 26-year-old man named Damien Lowe was walking down the street just outside of London, and uh, he got captured and held hostage by terrorists. The terrorists called his family and demanded a very large sum of money, but the family said there's no way that they could pay that much money that quickly. And so the terrorist decided to do something to show the family that they were really serious. And so here's what they did. They uh, they decided to cut off one of Damien's five fingers and mail it to the family. And that's exactly what they did. But I guess because they were nice terrorists, uh, they decided to let Damien choose which one of his five fingers to get cut off. So I want you to put yourself in Damien's situation for just a minute. you got a few seconds to decide which one of your fingers, which one of your five fingers you're going to live without for the rest of of your life. That's a pretty big decision, isn't it? You don't want to mess that one up. So what would you choose? Which finger would you have cut off? Uh, now, no worries, okay, we're not cutting off any fingers uh, today. And uh, Damien survived and he got released. Damien is good. But I want you to put yourself in Damien's, Damien's situation. If you had to choose a finger to have cut off, which finger would you Choose. Here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to turn to the person uh, next to you, whatever your location, and go ahead and take a moment and tell them which one you would choose and why. Go ahead and do that across all our locations. All right, did you make your choice? That's probably about how much time Damien had, just a few seconds. Did you make your choice? And did you know that hand surgeons tell us that there is absolutely a right choice? If you had to lose one finger, okay, this is the one uh, to lose. Do you, know, do you want to know which one it is? I'm not going to tell you until the end of the message today. All right. Uh, but today, I'm really glad you're here and I'm really excited uh, to talk and, and give this message on the subject of leadership as we continue the series called What I Wish I'd Known Sooner. We're going through the New Testament book of 1 Timothy. The Apostle Paul is near the end of his life, living in prison in Rome, facing the death penalty. But instead of feeling sorry for himself, he decides to pour into young leaders like Timothy. Timothy serves as a leader in the church in Ephesus. And so if you're a teenager or in your 20s or 30s, we're going to try and set you up for success. If you're in your 40s or 50s or 60s or older, we're going to help you avoid some of the common pitfalls that people encounter later in life. And today, uh, we're going to look at what Paul says to Timothy about what makes a great leader. But before we look at 1 Timothy, I feel like I need to lay some foundation here because what Paul teaches Timothy about leadership is based on what Jesus taught and modeled about leadership. So first, I want to lay some foundation and uh, take a look at what Jesus had to say about this subject before we look at 1 uh, Timothy. And this subject is really, really important in our communities, in our world, in our homes, in our schools, in our, in our churches, because we need more 
leaders. And I really, really believe that followers of Jesus should be the best leaders on the planet. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the greatest example of leadership of all time. Some of us are like, really? Jesus is the greatest leader? Yeah, I'm going to prove it to you. But first, let me ask you a question. If you're a leader, would you just go ahead and raise your hand right now, wherever you're located? Just go ahead and raise your hand if you're a leader. Raise it high. Raise it up. Be proud. Now, some of us didn't raise our hand. And the reason is because we believe that leadership is a title, a position. It's a place on an org chart. But that's not how Jesus defines leadership. Here's a definition of leadership. It's not a position or a title or an org chart. Leadership is influence. And everybody here, every, every single person is a leader because you have influence. Now, some of us have more influence than others, but all of us have influence. If you're here and you're a single mom or a single uh, dad, you need to raise your hand because you have influence. You're a leader. Never underestimate the, the influence you have on your kids. I love what Pastor Andy Stanley says about this. Your most significant leadership accomplishment may not be something that you do, but someone you raise. If you're a teenager here today and you're like, well, I'm not really a leader. Oh, yeah, yeah, you are because you've got influence over your friends, over people around you. If you're a grandparent here today and you're like, well, you know, I used to be a leader, but I'm retired. No, no, no. Do you know the next generation is looking more to grandparents today for help navigating the difficult waters ahead than ever before? Every single person has influence. And if leadership is influence, which it is, no one has influenced our world more than Jesus. Let me give you a couple examples. The whole world today measures time. With B.C. and A.D., you know what they stand for? B.C. stands for before Christ. A.D. stands for Anno Domini, which means the year of our Lord. The whole world keeps track of time and says it is the year 2021. Why? Because it's 2,021 years after the birth of Jesus. And what are the two most important holidays? The two most celebrated holidays in the whole world, Christmas and Easter, the birth of Jesus, and the death and resurrection of Jesus. No one has had anywhere near the influence of Jesus. And so if we want to know what good leadership looks like, it makes sense to learn from the greatest leader of all time. And it doesn't matter what influence you have, whether it's influence over your friends or over your family, influence over your coworkers or a sports team, or maybe you have influence over 10 employees or 100 employees, or a thousand employees, Jesus will make you a better leader. Author Patrick Lencioni describes two different kinds of leaders, two motivations for leadership. The first one is called uh, responsibility-based leadership, and the second is called rewards-based leadership. Let me briefly explain these two different motivations. Responsibility-based leadership says that you feel it's your responsibility to care for and serve the people that you lead. Whether it's your family or your friends or your coworkers or a kid's sports team, you want to serve them. Rewards-based leadership says this, you want to be rewarded by the perks and the power of leadership. You want a bigger salary? You want a bigger place on the org chart? 
You want other people to serve you and say, hey, look at that guy. Look at what he did. He's important. Or, wow, look at her. Look at what they can do. You want to get, you want to get reward. You want the rewards or the fun that you think comes with leadership. You don't want to do the menial stuff. So those are the two motivations for leadership. Now, when we think about Jesus as the ultimate example of leadership, which one of these two motivations did Jesus model for us? It's not even close, is it? Jesus led with the heart of a servant. Jesus didn't lead to gain any rewards. And so here's what I want to show you today as we talk about what makes a great leader. When you bend down to serve, God can lift you up to lead. When you become a servant leader, that's when you become a true leader that other people will want to follow. And there's no better scripture, there's no better passage that describes the Jesus style of leadership than Matthew chapter 20. Jesus is near the end of his life. He's tried and tried to develop the 12 disciples into servant leaders so that when he dies, they can go and transform the world through his power and spirit in them. And so Jesus keeps trying to teach them to be servant leaders, but they just don't get it. In fact, they follow Jesus because they think Jesus is going to become an earthly king with all kinds of riches and power. And so they compete for the top positions on the org chart. But, and it's almost comical. It's almost comical because they just don't get Jesus' style of leadership. One day, for example, two of them, uh, two brothers, James and John, come to, to Jesus to ask a favor. And they bring their mom. Yeah, they bring their mommy uh, with them. Uh, she was like the original helicopter parent. But this mom asked Jesus for her two sons to sit at the right hand and left hand of Jesus in his uh, kingdom because they're reward-centered leaders. And by the way, the mom is too because if her sons are number one and number two, it's going to elevate her as well. And Jesus begins to explain to them. He says, you don't really know what you're asking because who is at the left and right of Jesus when he died? Two thieves on crosses. But they insist, no, this is what we want. And when the other ten disciples hear that James and John want the top positions, all of them get mad because all of them are reward-centered Leaders, And so look at what Jesus does. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the uh, Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Jesus calls them together and he has this little leadership conference. And he says, the leaders of the Gentiles are reward-centered leaders. They've built up their power to push everybody else down so they get what they want, riches and rewards. It was all about them. But then look at what Jesus says next. Look at the next four words out of his mouth. He says, not so with you. Jesus says, I don't want you to ever have a motivation in your heart to lead where it's all about you. And then Jesus gives this alternative model of leadership. He says, whoever wants to be great, the word great in the original language is the word mega, which means significant or important. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your, say it out loud, must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Jesus says, you want to be a great leader? You need to do two things. 
Number one, you need to be a servant. What's a servant? A servant is focused on doing things for others rather than for oneself. And, and I know for uh, some of us, I know for me, as I read that, I, I know I can do better as a servant leader. I, I, I can do better, but I've got more work to do. And I think many of us would also say, I've got more work to do in this uh, area. But then Jesus uses a second word that's even more difficult to accept. He says, I want you to be a slave. You know, some of us probably go, well, I'll serve, but I don't want to be a slave. But what does it mean to be a, a slave? A slave is somebody bound to obey their master's commands and teachings. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, are you bound to obey anybody's uh, teachings and commands? If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're off the hook. But if you are a follower of Jesus, are you bound to anybody's uh, commands and teachings? Yes. Absolutely, right? You're bound to the commands and teachings of Jesus. And so what Jesus says here about servant leadership, it's not a suggestion. It's a mandate, which means if you lead for any other reason than to serve others, you'll never be a great leader because you can't lead like Jesus unless you serve like Jesus. And Jesus didn't just give us teaching, this teaching on leadership, he lived it out. Look at what he says in the next verse. Just as the son of man, he's referring to himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't come to be served. He didn't come for the rewards. He came to serve and give his life for others. And this is the type of leadership that Paul, the Apostle Paul, teaches young Timothy. Paul takes the servant leadership model of Jesus and he makes it practical for our everyday lives. In the third chapter of 1 Timothy, Paul lays out three characteristics of what makes a great servant leader. And here's my encouragement for you today as we go through these three characteristics. Ask yourself, which one of these characteristics do I need to focus on? Which one of these three characteristics is God asking me to focus on? Here's the first characteristic that Paul lays out for Timothy. And that is that a good servant leader owns their home. In chapter 3, Paul talks about leadership roles in the church. Specifically, he talks about the role of the overseer. And overseer had responsibilities that were essential and crucial in the church. And so Paul instructed Timothy on how to choose these people well. But Paul knew something. Paul knew that you could tell a lot about a person by how they lead their family at home. He explains this in, in verse uh, 5. He says, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Paul makes the point here that servant leadership begins where you live. And this is not easy because sometimes the most difficult people to lead are the people that you live with. But Paul says that servant leadership begins in your home. He goes so far as to say that the overseer must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of respect. Now, I don't think Paul is telling Timothy to go and look for perfect people with uh, perfect families. Even if your home life is great, it's probably not perfect, right? But Paul tells Timothy to look for people dedicated to their relationships at home. Because in order to grow a healthy family, 
to, to build a strong marriage, to raise kids who have wisdom, to have a home with a roommate where there is peace. You've got to dedicate time and effort to love and serve those that you live with. And it's easy to compartmentalize servant leadership and say, well, I serve those at, at work. And when I come home, I expect my spouse and my kids to serve me. But serving, serving isn't what you do. It's who you are. And three times in chapter 3, Paul makes a strong connection between good leadership and serving your family at home. Becoming a, being a servant, because servant leadership starts where you live. So what would it look like for you to own your home. Maybe for you, it means that you start taking more initiative to spiritually lead your family. Talking about God, over shared meals, praying together, reading scripture with one another. Maybe it's putting as much energy and effort into your time with your family as you put into your work schedule or your work calendar. If you've got kids, it's figuring out ways to show them that they're valued members of your family and you love and appreciate them. If you're a, a kid, if you're a student, if you're a teenager, maybe this is an opportunity for you to lead the way and listen to what your parents have to say and be obedient to them. If you live alone or if you're single with roommates, maybe this is an opportunity for you to take advantage of habits that produce peace in your home. Servant leadership starts where you live. So own your home. Second characteristic of a servant leader that Paul points out to Timothy is this. Invest in integrity. Because people will trust and follow someone who has integrity. Paul puts it to Timothy like this. He said a leader must also have a good reputation with outsiders. So that he will not fall into disgrace. And into the devil's trap. Paul says that a servant leader has the courage to maintain the same values and the same character no matter who you're with and no matter what you're uh, doing. Or, or to put it another way, what you think about and what you do when nobody's looking, when nobody's watching, says a lot about who you are as a leader. And the trap that Paul warns Timothy about falling into is that if you don't invest in integrity... It's going to catch up with you and you won't be a leader worth following. You will lose your influence. And leaders who invest in integrity have less stress and less worry because they have nothing to hide. Several years ago, Reader's Digest had this uh, story of a businessman in uh, Michigan who took his administrative assistant home um, after work. Uh, his ad administrative assistant had a little too much to drink at the afternoon reception at the office. And so he uh, gave her a ride home, and it was an innocent gesture. But rather than risking being misunderstood, he didn't tell his wife about what he had done. And so he took the administrative assistant home, and then he immediately he drove over to pick up his wife. She jumped into the car because they had some reservations that they had made to have dinner uh, together. He didn't think there was any problem, but about halfway to the restaurant... He looks over underneath the passenger seat and he sees a half-exposed high heel shoe. And he thinks, oh no, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And so he uh, waits uh, patiently for his wife to glance out the window. 
And as soon as she glanced out the window in one fell swoop, he reached down and he grabbed that high heel shoe and he threw it out the window. And he kept driving to the restaurant. A couple minutes later, they pull into the parking lot of the restaurant. And he looks over at his wife and she's, uh, she's squirming in the seat. And she says to him, honey, have you seen my other shoe? Yeah, truth will always come out in the end. So better to just tell the truth at the beginning and uh, your life will be a lot less complicated. Be faithful in small things and uh, you'll have more influence as a leader. Third and final characteristic that Paul lays out for Timothy is that good leaders seek success through serving. Paul tells Timothy there is a reward for leadership. But you get there through serving. Look at what he says. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. And I know that's counterintuitive in our culture today because normally what we see as success is anybody who puts the spotlight on themselves, who can create a large following, who's got a lot of influence, who's got a lot of money. And the temptation for many leaders is to flash their power and, talk, and tell others about what they, have, what they have. But Paul says the real definition of a successful leader is how willing are you to serve others. And so I want you to just take a moment and I want you to think back. Who has had the greatest influence in your life? Who's made the greatest impact in your life? Here's my guess. It's probably somebody who served you. You know, maybe some of you would say it's a parent who just laid down their life every day for you. That's me. I'm grateful for my parents. Uh, maybe some of you, it was, it was someone at work who gave you an opportunity when nobody else would give you an opportunity. And you're where, you are, are at, you're where you're at at work right now because that other person served you and supported you. Maybe some of you would say it's a coach or it's a teacher who really saw potential in you and spent extra time helping you, teaching you, developing you. Not for them. They did it to serve you. Maybe some of you would say it's a person at church. Maybe it's a volunteer at church who reached out and made you feel welcome and helped you to get connected. Don't you want to be that kind of leader? I'm sure that you do. And when you become a servant leader, that's when you become a true leader that other people want to follow. When you bend down to serve, God can lift you up to lead. So we got to decide as followers of Jesus, if we want to have lasting influence, if we want to see our families transform, if we want to see marriages transform, if uh, we want to see friendships and the world transform, every area of life that we want to see transformed. It starts when we begin to develop the heart of a servant like Jesus. Well, remember at the beginning of the message, I uh, had you choose a finger uh, to have uh, cut off. What would you choose? I'm going to take a little survey, okay? Uh, how many of you chose to cut off the uh, pointer finger? Yeah, go ahead and raise your hand. Uh, raise your hand if you chose the uh, pointer uh, finger. Yeah. Um, Several of you. Okay, how many of you chose the uh, middle finger? Go ahead and raise your hand. Sir, I can't believe that you're raising your middle finger. And I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Nobody's doing that. Just made that up. How many of you uh, chose the ring finger? 
Go ahead and, and uh, raise your hand. How many of you chose the pinky? Raise your Oh, boy, lots of people. Everybody chose the pinky. Everybody chooses the pinky. What's the, what's the right answer? I'll tell you. But first, <laughs> what finger do we often, most often associate with leadership? It's this one right here, isn't it? You know, uh, hey, I'm number one. You know, I'm number one, and, you know, I'm going to tell you what to do. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. I want you to do uh, this. We think leadership is all about me directing everybody because I'm number one. But do you know what hand surgeons tell us is absolutely the right uh, decision? If you had to cut off one finger, just one, don't cut off the pinky, okay? Never choose the pinky. The pinky actually controls 50% of your hand strength. If you cut off your pinky, you would lose 50% of your hand strength. And the, and the ring finger, don't choose the ring finger or the middle finger. They're connected by the same tendon, and they control 35% of your grip strength. By far, what hand surgeons tell us, if you had to cut off one finger, choose your pointer finger your index finger, because the middle finger can do almost everything that the pointer finger um, can do. Now, what's the last finger that you would ever choose? Yeah, the thumb, your thumb. In fact, without a thumb, you don't really have a functioning hand. In fact, what hand surgeons tell us is that sometimes with people who lose their thumb, they'll try, they'll try to take another finger and make a thumb because you have to have a thumb to really have a, a hand that functions. Now, think about this. What finger really represents leadership. It's not the pointer finger. It's the thumb. Think about how all the fingers have a purpose, right? But what is the job of the thumb? The thumb is the one finger that works with all the others. The thumb is the one finger that serves all the others, and we're able to accomplish so much more together than we could alone. Leadership is the thumb. Leadership is serving. And what some of us need to do today is we need to cut off that pointer finger. Not literally, okay? <laughs> Figuratively, we need to get rid of that pointer finger. There's actually a verse in Isaiah where, where God says, get rid of the pointer finger. These people are using their finger to, to point and judge Others, But isn't it interesting? Get rid of the pointer finger because leadership is the thumb. Leadership is about serving. Somebody showed me this, that the thumb is actually the lowest of all five of the fingers. It's the lowest, but it's the most important because it serves all the others. And when you bend down to serve, God can lift you up to lead. So here's the challenge for us today. What's one specific way that you can start serving others on a regular basis, starting this week to develop the heart of a servant? It, it might be in your workplace. You might say, you know, I've not, I've not really been serving people at the workplace. It's been about me. It's been about me climbing the org chart. It's been about uh, me gaining power. Or maybe you'd say it's, it's home. You might say, I really need to start serving my family at, at home. I serve others but I don't really serve very well at home. Or it might be here at church. Maybe you've been kind of sitting on the sidelines. Maybe it's time for you to go from spectating to participating. Maybe it's time for you to step into serving because serving is who you are. And we need everybody serving 
to make the greatest impact for Jesus in our uh, communities. And if you, you want to step into serving today, we've got a couple great opportunities, a couple fun opportunities. Taylor told you about these earlier. In fact, we've got a code up on the screen. If you want to take out your phone right now and aim your camera at that code, you can go ahead and sign up. First of all, you can bring your vehicle and decorate a trunk this Friday night for trunk or treat. It's a fun way to serve kids and their families. And think about this. We are going to have a lot of new families. We're going to have a lot of first-time families at Waukesha and Pewaukee. And we need your help to welcome them and to uh, serve them. You can also sign up for the meal packing events coming up in three weeks, November 12th and 13th. This is a great event. Last year, we had over 600 people volunteer. We packed 100,000 meals. And we have an even bigger goal uh, this year. And uh, you can go ahead and sign up as an individual. You can, or you can sign up your family. You can sign up your group or your team, and you'll have fun and serve an important uh, need and feed the hungry. And when you bend down to serve others, God can lift you up to lead. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for providing the greatest leadership model of all time in Jesus. I pray that we would really take this teaching and example of Jesus to heart. Because we want to see transformation in our families and marriages and friendships. Transformation in our community and workplaces. We want to have a lasting influence. But the only way for that to happen is for us to follow the example of Jesus and serve others. I pray that you would really get a hold of our hearts today to follow Jesus. And bend down to serve others so that you can lift us up as leaders. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.